I'm Laura Zam, and this is Sexual Healing Central. Today, I'm talking to Kara Haholik, who is going to talk to us about vestibulodynia. Vestibulodynia is a pain condition that affects 16% of women at some point in their lives, but it is almost never talked about. Stay with us. I'm really excited. Thanks for having me. Excellent. So I always have my guests just introduce themselves. You can tell us anything you like about yourself that you think is relevant. Sure. Well, um, like you said earlier, my name is Kara Hoholek. I live outside of Grand Rapids, Michigan with my husband and three small children. They are eight, six, and three. And I am the founder and CEO of Social for Good, which is a content marketing agency that specializes in socially conscious businesses and entrepreneurs and nonprofits. And yeah, I'm just really happy to be here to share my experience and to hopefully help other women that are having a similar experience and maybe don't have that don't have a connection with anybody that they can talk to about it, or maybe are uncomfortable talking to their doctor so they can, I guess, understand that it's more common and, and help them feel more supported. Yeah. Thank you so much because part of my mission is to raise awareness by having people who've solved different kinds of problems come on so that we can get solutions on the ground, you know, especially uh, so many of us with these kinds of issues have, you know, gone from practitioner to practitioner for practitioner, but oh, I'll let sure. you actually tell, tell your story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's kind of an interesting story. I was in college, um, dating my boyfriend, now my husband, and I had an experience with genital warts. And so I had gotten that taken care of. And it was really just like right after that experience, I started having a lot of pain with sexual intercourse and I just always associated it with the genital words. And so when talking to uh, my ob and talking to, you know, other doctors, when I did go to different specialists and things like that, to me, in my mind, that always was connected because it happened sort of at the same time. And so the doctors kind of associated it with that as well for a while. And so when I first had the conversation with my doctor about the pain I was experiencing, pretty much the conversation was, well, it's probably related to that. Like just, you know, wait for the healing to finish and, and then it'll be okay. So I said, all right, well, I never had this experience before. And, you know, sexually transmitted infections are hard to talk about, especially when you're in college and you're a lot younger and don't have a lot of experience in talking to doctors about, you know, issues or concerns and things like that. So I was just like, okay, I don't have to and talk about this. we should probably this. say how common HPV is. Yes. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Human papillomavirus is extremely common. What is it? One in four? You probably know better than I do. Yeah. So I know that now that it's super common, but at the time it feels very shaming and you're stressed about it and you don't want to talk about it. And so even to your doctor, it's just like an awkward conversation. And, and I think too, being in college, it was kind of like a, you felt a little bit of a judgmental issue too, about, you know, what kind of activities are you doing, you know, when you're in college, that kind of thing. So when she said, oh, it's probably just related to that, you know, just give it some time and it'll heal up and you'll be fine. I was just like, okay, cool. We don't have to talk about this anymore and we can just wait for it to heal and it'll be fine. But, you know, months go by and it's still a consistent issue. 
Um, it obviously affects our relationship because intercourse is very painful. It becomes something that I'm not obviously interested in doing because it, it hurts. And so it's not fun and all that. So it becomes a big issue in our relationship. It becomes a stressor for me. Like this is not recovering. I'm not feeling better. You know, what's going on. So I continue to try to advocate for myself and talk to my doctor and say, you know, I just feel like there's something else going on. There's something wrong. Like my body is not healing, you know, cause I still thought it was associated with that. There's something else happening or I don't know what. So luckily for me here in Grand Rapids, there are a couple of different um, urologists and specialists that kind of deal with vulvodynia and interstitial cystitis and just different kinds of those kind of pain syndromes. And so she referred me to a urologist that specializes in these kinds of conditions. And so, you know, I feel like that's kind of luck of the draw sometimes of where you live and the kind of medical professionals that you have access to. And so I went and I saw him a few times and that's where the whole cascade of interventions and options and things began to number one, try to rule out other things that it could be to try and resolve the issue. My first appointment with him was interesting because it was the first male doctor I had gone to. And so that was an interesting because my OB-GYN was a woman and I was young, I'm in college. So it was just kind of like a really awkward experience for me to be like, okay, well, um, this will be fine. You know, it's going to help me and had to like coach myself through that, you know? So it's like my <laughs> first experience with that. And we went through a whole list of like options that it could be, in, you know, for a while we thought maybe it could be related to interstitial cystitis. So I got books and read up on that and changed my diet and all Can that. you tell and us a little bit about that? Because a lot of people who have vulvodynia have interstitial cystitis. Can you tell us a little bit about what that is? Yeah, I am certainly not an expert on it and it ended up not being that for me. So I kind okay. of <laughs> kind about it. So you're probably more of an expert than me, but from what I understand, it's related to your bladder, correct? So mm-hmm. and it can it's basically be- cystitis cystitis is is uh you know, itis is always inflammation, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I think a lot of times it can be diet controlled. Um, mm-hmm. And so there's like an elimination diet that you can go on to try to, to see if there are certain food groups or things that can kind of aggravate it. So I did that and that wasn't successful. It didn't really make a difference in my experience. Um, I did pelvic floor therapy for a while. It was a really interesting experience. I'd never done that before, obviously. So it was interesting kind of to learn, you know, what that does and how that can work. And um, I think it's kind of fascinating to see all these different medical interventions that we develop over time. And I just found it really interesting, but that wasn't super successful and it was internal. So it was a painful experience. So every time I had to see a different specialist and they had to do an exam or every time I had to have a new treatment that was internal was very painful. And so it was just like how, you know, you go on and on and it's like, how, how much am I really going to do this? I keep exposing myself to extra pain. None of this has been worth it because I did the pelvic floor therapy for a while. And then I did Botox injections, which at the time was a new thing that they were kind of, you know, studying and seeing if that could help with the pain. And that was internal as well. So that was painful and didn't work. (laughs) So 
we're just like going through all of these invasive things and painful things. And like years go by and my husband and I are getting married and then we're thinking about having children. And then that is a stress by itself. Number one, can we conceive, you know, what even is this issue? Are we going to be able to, you know, have intercourse often enough to be able to conceive because we had to have recovery time in between and all of that. So that was a stress of like, is this even going to be something that will work? So that obviously is a whole other, you know, level of, of stress. And then around in that time, we were thinking about having children. So I was like, well, obviously then we should be going off birth control. I was on a hormonal birth control at the time and, and had been for years and years. And I actually, one of the treatments I just remembered that the urologist had put me on was skipping the sugar pill week in my hormonal birth control and doing um, the hormonal pills throughout the whole month and doing only having your menstrual cycle every couple of months instead of every month because I would get, I have such sensitive skin and I would get um, rashes and irritation from using products when I had my menstrual cycle. So that was something that we tried for a while too, to see like if that would help kind of alleviate the stress that was happening and the inflammation and everything. So I decided then to go off birth control, like maybe, you know, we're going to try to have a, a child. So let's, let's try that. And then pretty rapidly, I realized that things were improving. And I thought that was really interesting. And I, so I wasn't sure if, if it was that or not, because we were lucky enough to very quickly get pregnant. And that was a relief because I was worried about that. And so I wasn't sure, is it pregnancy hormones? Was it going off of the birth control? Like all of that kind of thing. So I had a conversation with my doctor and he was like, huh, maybe it was the birth control, you know, like maybe that was the problem. Of course I was on like more hormonal birth control than I was because I didn't even have that week off, you know, every month or whatever. So I feel like I'm getting so far in the weeds of like this whole- No, 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 this is great because there's show notes so people can go in and they can find some things because you're, you're, you found the culprit apparently, yeah? Mm-hmm. Yes. So we did discover that it was the hormonal birth control that was the issue. And so after having my first baby, um, you know, we had discussions of like, you know, what kind of birth control methods are we going to try? You know, how is that going to work? And so we did some research, talked to my doctor and decided to do the Marina IUD to see, cause that has a very low dose to see, will this affect or not? Like how sensitive is the system or whatever? And luckily for me, the Marina has been working well and I haven't after, you know, I've had three children now and, the the pain with intercourse is really not an issue. I feel like there are occasions where I think there's like a hormonal imbalance and sometimes it's a little bit not painful even really, I would say, just maybe a little bit uncomfortable. But for the most part, it's not a concern anymore. And so, you know, I feel like we're, my oldest is eight, eight and a half. So it's been a long time now where we've had to then do the recovery, you know, after the physical recovery than to do the emotional recovery of dealing with with that and how many years we had to, you know, have this stress every time we had intercourse was like a, a stressful time. So then it was, you know, recovering our relationship from that. Took some right, time. right. And so there's so many things that, that come up that are, um, that could be so helpful for other people to hear about. So one of them is, 
when we have pain conditions, then it's very simple, I think, what happens, um, but muscularly, the muscles can um, seize up mm-hmm. and, uh, and then get into a pattern. I mean, the body's just going, uh, uh. Yeah, <laughs> and so that, that rehabilitation of the muscles is its own remedy. And that's, you know, probably you encountered some of that when you were doing the pelvic floor, even though that wasn't really like getting to the heart of it. I found with myself, other people I talk to, it's just it it just is kind of logical, you know, if you've had a pain condition, even if it was a while ago, sometimes the muscles can just kind of go freak out a little bit and there might be a lot of tightness or or discomfort. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily the same pain that we had before because we were solving that, but the the vagina might go into like a little bit of like lockdown or even a little bit of freak out. Like yeah, what wait, wait. <laughs> like wait a minute. This might not be good. <laughs> exactly. And that is um, you know, it depends. Sometimes the muscles really are kind of locked into that, that, um, what they call hypertonic, um, you know, like overly tight pattern. And then, you know, some kind of, uh, more extensive remedy is necessary, but I believe, I don't know if this is medically thing, there's primary vaginismus, which is somebody who's always had very, very tight pelvic floor muscles. They were not able to uh, put in a tampon. It was very, you know, traumatic. Intercourse the first time or penetration the first time was, you know, impossible or very, very difficult. That was my case. Took me Mm. eight months, eight months to have uh, intercourse for the first time. Mm. So I had uh, primary vaginismus, but I think what's not talked about at all is secondary vaginismus. Secondary vaginismus sets in if you've had some sort of trauma, surgery, pain condition, something that makes the, and if you look at it from the perspective of the vagina itself, it makes total sense, mm-hmm. right? The vagina is like, well, the last time this, <laughs> this wasn't very good. I don't really right. want to release. <laughs> right. I had gotten that feedback too. Like when I went to pelvic floor therapy and even talking to, you know, cause you see so many doctors and things like that. I gotten that well, it's just really tight. So like, I just, you know, you just need to relax a little bit. And it's like, okay. So I would try that, right? You know, like you're laying there and just like, okay, I'm just gonna relax. But I mean, good luck. Like that's really difficult. That's like when you're in labor to give birth to a child. And and that's kind of, you're supposed to do that too, to relax, have everything open up. And like, you have to really go into a different mental space to be able to do that, to forget about the pain, right? Like when you're thinking about, for people who have been in labor and like can relate it to that, but it's hard to do that in intercourse because you're supposed to be connecting and, you know, enjoying yourself. And then you're just like, let me go somewhere else so I can manage the pain. And it's like, that's not helpful really. I mean, maybe it will hurt less or something, but also the muscles don't relax. It's a different relaxation process. It's it's people uh, I hope can hear this if they have, I hope they found their way here if they might have a pain condition that's related to to the muscles. The muscular contraction is involuntary. Mm -hmm. It's involuntary. So you cannot relax it in a voluntary way. It's the same as if you, like you mentioned, right, that childbirth. But I think even if you've ever had a muscle spasm in your back, right, it, you can't breathe it away. It's the muscle is, has its own wiring situation right. that's going on. The circuiting has gotten a little bit freaked out. 
And, um, and you can only really remedy that by, um, by retraining the muscle mm-hmm. um, to relax. It's the same as any kind of physical therapy, right? You can't just will something a- away. The yes. muscle needs its own, its own uh, neurological patterning to be, you know, re- revamped. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I yeah. tried to will it away, but it didn't work very good. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but I'm so glad that you found. So, let's talk a little bit more about vulvodynia, vestibulodynia, so we can, and also hormonal birth control and how this could be a culprit. Mm-hmm. So, you never got conclusively like, okay, this is what's going on. It was just that it was almost like an elimination diet, right? You went off hormonal birth control and it got better. And so the doctor said, hey, that must have been the cause. Is that right? Right, because I never went back on it to test it out. I really didn't mm-hmm. want to do that. So I right. was thinking to myself, well, um, you know, process of elimination, exactly. Yeah. And so just so people know, vulvodynia is the term for a pain in the vulva. Mm-hmm. And it can also include vaginal pain. The mm-hmm. umbrella is large enough to include things having to do with vaginismus, which are those overly tight pelvic floor muscles, mm-hmm. and also atrophy conditions and, and other things that might. But lots of times when people are talking about vulvodynia, they're talking about the vulva and not the vagina. And so they're talking about issues that have to do with the, the vulvar tissue, especially the, what's in the vestibule, which is inside the outer lips, but mm. outside the... <laughs> Yeah, inner lips. Uh huh. The area, it's the called the vestibule. It's out. It's Mm -hmm. basically the area that's outside your vagina, but not but inside the inner lips. All that is called the vestibule. Okay. Yeah. And those tissues, from my understanding, those tissues need testosterone Mm -hmm. to Mm -hmm. just to be in good working condition. All of that, the whole part of the body, really needs these sex hormones to thrive uh, in many different ways. and But the skin itself needs uh, testosterone. And without testosterone, the skin can become inflamed. This mm-hmm. is only one, one thing. And the, the nerves become hyperactive. And that's called vestibulodynia. So that's just this pain in the vestibule. So there's different okay. kinds of vulvodynia, but mm-hmm. um, but that's one particular kind. And um, I don't know if that was exactly where it was for you, um, you mm-hmm. know, outside. Well, it sounds like it. Cause, yeah, because I, I know that vulvodynia is kind of like a really broad overarching term. So yeah, yeah it's good to have more specific descriptions. Yeah. You know, what, what's also can be confusing about is that vulva, that vestibulodynia, when it affects the vestibule, that same tissue is also around the urethra. Mm. And so, which is going to be internal then, and that's around the G-spot area. So mm. sometimes people have vestibular pain, like at entry, especially, you know, like a, a lot of times it's like burning but also internally around the G-spot, which is supposed to feel good, but it doesn't feel good. Right, right. That's interesting that those two areas are connected, even though you wouldn't, without really understanding the anatomy that you wouldn't Mm -hmm. know that that otherwise. A friend of mine who is, she also blurred my book and we've done events and she'll be on here in the podcast if she hasn't already, Dr. Rachel Rubin. When I went to see her for my own uh, vestibular dynia, she said, 
Okay. First question. Do you like when your belly button is touched? And I went, no, I hate it. And she said that she's finding a link between people who don't like their belly button touched and some of this vulvodynia, especially this vestibulodynia. And she said it's because it's the same kind of tissue. And people like me who don't like their belly buttons touch, there is a congenital overactivity of nerves in that kind of tissue. And so people like that, she believes, have a propensity to Hmm. develop these vestibular problems because we already have this kind of, these, these oversensitive nerves. Anyway, very interesting. That is really interesting. Yeah. Wow. I don't know if I have ever had anybody want to touch my belly button. I don't even know. <laughs> I might have to test this theory. <laughs> You're going to have to try that. You could try this actually with one of your kids. They'll love it. <laughs> yeah, they probably would. <laughs> see, if, see if you like jump back and like, ah, or if it's like, oh, that's kind of cool. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I'm going to try that. I'll report back. <laughs> okay. This is what I ask all my guests. What does sexual healing mean to you? Oh, um, to me, it means being able to fully enjoy yourself, whatever that looks like for you, um, without stress. So, and I think there's going to be fluctuations of that, I feel like. So I don't think sexual healing is necessarily like an arrival point. It's kind of a, always going to be a journey where at different times you might have different feelings about it, but that's what it means to me. And that's how I feel like in my life and my experience that after so many years that I feel like I more often than not feel healed from that experience where more often than not, I don't feel stressed about it or I don't worry about it coming back anymore or like that kind of thing. And I can just fully relax and enjoy myself instead of feeling the stress of it. Yeah. Thank you for that. Cause that's, that's really so important, especially that, that process, right? Because there, you may solve the problem. And so, right. There's, you don't have it anymore, but we have to learn how now to, how to relax and, oh, yeah, uh, and enjoy ourselves. For sure. You know, like it did feel, it wasn't overnight, right? But it felt sort of like that. Mm-hmm. Once you got rid of the birth control, like it felt like very quickly there was healing physically, but then mentally and emotionally, it took a lot longer for sure. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I can't remember if I said that it may be redundant on here, but the the uh, a lot of these vestibular tissue that it needs testosterone and that is possibly what happened. Uh, mm-hmm. We don't know for sure, but that's possibly why going off birth control was effective because mm-hmm. now um, birth control takes your testosterone either way down some sometimes to zero. And so now the tissues had testosterone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So I'm, I'm going to ask you to give us some advice if somebody's experiencing painful sex and a lot of us really just don't know where to begin. What What's your best advice for someone My best advice is to not give up on yourself. So, I mean, took me years and a lot of different treatments and doctors 
and things to figure it out. And on one hand, it was frustrating that like it was sort of a relatively simple solution to fix fix it. But I would have never arrived there if I hadn't continued to advocate for myself and continued to push push it that there's something not right here. This is not normal and this needs to be fixed somehow, some way. And I'm saying that knowing that it's not easy to do that. And I had a supportive partner that was with me throughout the whole experience. And I know like without having that, how much more difficult it would have been. But the only person that can advocate for ourselves is ourselves, right? So whether you're listening to this right now, I mean, that's one step and one way of advocating for yourself is getting educated and learning about it so that you can kind of connect the dots and relate it to yourself. And then also just to feel empowered and supported and knowing that you're not alone. I'd certainly felt alone for a long time, not realizing that this was relatively common and other women experience this issue frequently and that there are specialists and doctors and um, research done to kind of figure out why things are going on or, or why you're in pain. And I think there's been a lot of progress since when I first, I mean, we were just talking about that earlier about the progress in the research, because when I first experienced pain, it was kind of, hmm, uh, I think there's a specialist that maybe could help you, but it wasn't super common where I feel like now if I went to the doctor and explained it, I feel like more, there's a lot more awareness. Um, that, oh, okay, I have other patients that have dealt with this. Like, here are my recommendations or whatever. Like, that would feel way more welcoming and um, you would feel a lot more supported. Like, okay, this happens to other people. Like, I'll be able to figure this out. So I think just knowing that and just keep pushing forward, even though the um, experiences and the appointments and all that can be stressful and traumatizing by themselves, in addition to everything that you're going through, um, to advocate for yourself and know know your limits and be able to keep going. And if it doesn't feel right to you and you think that there's something more that's out there that can um, that can help you to keep pushing for that. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, and I, I just want to mention there are lots of Facebook groups right now for mm. people who have these kinds of issues just do a quick search on, on Facebook. You'll find a lot of supportive groups. Uh, so I love what you're saying about finding support, you know, especially amongst people who are going through this and uh, can share tips and their own experience. Finding a practitioner, I think, is is so good. And these days we can, whereas, right, nobody knew. I My condition started, you know, back in the <laughs> in the 80s. Nobody knew right anything about this Mm -hmm. so so, and I I just love that and I I also I I just I really want to land on on the way that you advocated for yourself by speaking up by by pursuing this by talking to your doctor in the first place which is so hard for us Mm -hmm. 75% of women experience painful sex at some point in their lives 5% talk to their doctors about Mm -hmm. it I believe that Right. Yeah. I mean, even just, you know, regardless of this experience, even just like other experiences that I've had with, with physicians and things like that, and having to um, really advocate for myself and, and switching providers, you know, if you have a provider that isn't supporting you um, and not listening to, to your story or your pain to find a new one. And we have the power to do that, but it's like, feels really uncomfortable, you know, to be like, I'm firing you as my doctor and finding someone else. But like, we have the power to do that and we should do that. 
but I recognize there's so much privilege in me being able to say that and do that and, and have the knowledge and the, um, ability to do that. So, um, I fully recognize that, but I think the more that we talk about it and share our stories and share how we did that, you know, how I switched offices to somebody else so that I could get the care that I needed, you know, then it gives even more women the tools to do that as well. Definitely. It gives them the tools and the the empowerment or mm-hmm. the encouragement to, to do that. And yeah, it's just, it's very important on whatever level we can that we we speak up, that we try to get this resolved, mm-hmm. whether, and if we're not getting the help that we need, yeah, that we, uh, we keep going. Thank you so much. This has been such a great conversation. And, and I'm so, I'm just really, really touched that you want to come on and, and help people. And uh, I love the work you're doing in the world, helping, yeah, helping organizations do their goodness in the world. So we'll, we'll include all that information as well in the show notes so people can get in touch with you. And uh, yes, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you. It was such a pleasure.